I remember Al DiLeonardo, my first summer, sharing the concept that anybody can be great here. And you can really hear it in his own story. That concept has really impacted my efforts to develop my team. I think it's important to love people for who they could be, not just for who they are right now. See, retention is congruent with relationships, so spending time with people is the best thing that I can do. And I always try to show up the right way for the people that are in front of me. And I'm excited about the potential of our business, see, of what Kaku is all about. I've got to believe that if there's people like us learning from each other how to be better leaders, that the future potential of our business and the world is so great. The voice you just heard is Ryan Suplee. Ryan and his Bucks County, Pennsylvania sales team won the Silver Cup as national champions in Cutco Vector's Premier League for Managers in 2021. And Ryan's story can be an inspiration for anyone. He received great mentorship on his path to becoming a district manager in Vector. Now, paying that forward by showing up the right way for the people around him, Ryan has developed a new wave of top talent and is setting a powerful leadership example for his division, his region, and the company. He was recently appointed to the role of assistant division manager for the powerhouse division, working closely with Hall of Fame legend John Wasserman. The insights in this conversation can be instrumental in helping you to develop a championship team of your own. I'm happy to feature today Silver Cup champion Ryan Suplee. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we are here with one of the rising stars in the Cutco Vector Marketing Organization, Ryan Suplee. Ryan has been in the Cutco Vector business since 2012, started with John Wasserman. And he advanced to become a district manager in about two years in 2014, went back to work with John for two years after a year as a DM, and then became a district manager again in 2017 and has had a great district manager career since that time, produced about $5 million in Cutco sales, and it has culminated in winning the Silver Cup in the Premier League in 2021. Ryan was number one in the nation uh, narrowly over Colin Patrick, who also had an outstanding year. And Ryan and his team in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, produced over $519,000 in new business sales to win that Silver Cup. Ryan also, during the year 2021, was appointed to be the assistant division manager for the powerhouse division, working very closely with John Wasserman in that capacity. Ryan Suplee, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? I'm great. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited to have you here. Happy to be able to share your Cutco Vector story and your lessons with our audience today. Tell us about how you got started back in 2012. Yeah, so I was a I was a student at Elizabethtown College, and you might know David Kirkner. Yeah, and we were going to college together. Uh, I also met Stacy Barton in that time. She was there for one semester, and I was friends with these people before I heard about Cutco. Now, I had gotten recommended the job multiple times. I was probably like one of those five timers, you know. <laughs> but I kept a so the first time I scheduled an interview got lost and et cetera, et cetera. I just kind of 
kept getting the calls, kept getting the texts. And then one day I finally answered. I'm sitting there with my uh, my girlfriend, Megan, who's now my wife. I was sitting there and I'm like, oh, I'll just take this real quick. And they're scheduling me for the interview. And I wasn't planning on going. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I was scheduling it just so they could see I'm serious about not coming. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> maybe this will show them for calling me. And David Kirkner gets on the phone. He hears Ryan Spleen. He's like, I'm, I'm like, David, I was like, Mr. Kirkner. I was like, does he have a son, David? She's like, no, it is the manager, David. And I'm like, and he grabs the phone from the receptionist. He's like, yo, dude, I'm the pilot manager. You know, like you should come in. I'll see you later. And then he like hands it back. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to this interview now. Like I wasn't planning on it. And I got started. He interviewed me. He was like, you know, just don't embarrass me because I'm like a goofball. So he's like, just, you're going to sit up front. Just be really cool. Don't say anything stupid. (laughs) So that's our pre-interview, right? (laughs) You basically, as long as you're just not an idiot, like you're going to get the job. And I was like, great. So I go through the interview. I actually like, I'm the kid in the interview. I'm like, why we get paid that much? I was like the best kid you'd want in an interview. (laughs) And it's like, did did you overdo it? Did you overdo it? I don't know. David said I did perfect, but I remember there being like 20 people in this interview. And even when he was like pulling people back, I'm like, yo guys, this is sick. My friend, my friend's actually David. Like he, he like got me this job and like, he's awesome. And it's, I'm like that perfect kid in in the interview that you'd want. Nice. (laughs) And uh, so I started that week. I sold about 3,500, maybe 4,000 in my fast start. I went to senior week right afterwards, but it wasn't mine. It was, you know, my friends and stuff. And I really wish I didn't do that. Uh, sold like 36,000 for the summer was like top 100 in the nation. Never won a scholarship, but that's kind of how I got started. It was pretty cool. Nice. 36 K summer. And you weren't, uh, an all American back then. Wow. We must've had some big results that summer. Yeah. Shelby Wildgust was, uh, my assistant manager. So she was like the AM of the office. She did like 67,000. So I was like, I thought I was bad at the job. (laughs) 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 You know, like I was like, man, I guess I did okay. And uh, I mean, when you have a Shelby in the office, it makes your results not look as good. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. Well, hey, 36K first summer. uh, That's really solid. Tell us about some of the experiences you remember from those early days. I remember thinking, I'll just try this out for a summer, right? I'm sure most people think that. And I made so much money by the end of the summer and I wanted to get a new car because the car I started the job with was an 85 Pontiac and it got like eight miles per gallon and I had to put a quart of oil in it every week. (laughs) So this thing was a gas guzzler. So I needed to make money. (laughs) And I just remember building some really great relationships, Uh, got really close with David and Shelby, obviously. And, uh, And I just remember like, getting into leadership academy like i interviewed and david was like dude you really got to check out this leadership academy thing like you know he was explaining it to me like this could totally change everything for you and i'm like sure and i remember showing up to earl's office where john was doing the interview and i was so nervous i was like like i've never done like a professional interview like this and i got in and i remember calling my parents and i'm like yo i just got into this leadership academy thing like this is huge and they were like great job. We have no idea what you're doing still. Like they, they still didn't quite get the job, but they were like, we're proud of you in you know, a type of moment. And I went back to college with David and we got to hang out, do phone calls together, go to that office. And it was really cool just kind of building that, those relationships. Now I, I should probably mention, I actually quit that winter. I actually quit the job like completely that winter break. And uh, John's who scooped me back. So how did that go down? Yeah, you know, my grandfather had passed, my dad's dad, and uh, you know, it hit me really, really hard. And I also was like struggling with if I wanted to continue college or not. So I was like in this mindset of I just think I want to drop out because I, you know, studying engineering, but it was super hard, and I didn't know if I wanted to do it. And I was paying for college out of pocket my own, and I'm like, I, I can't accumulate all this debt and not have a way to pay it off because I don't even know if I want to do engineering. So I was having this like, you know, crisis <laughs> between my grandfather passing and dropping out of school and and so I just dropped everything. I I just like kind of shelled myself off from everybody. And I remember getting a text from John in April 
And he said, hey, heard about your grandfather. Hope you're doing well. If you want to grab lunch, I would love to catch up and see how you're doing. And I'm like, because I had just made that decision a week before to drop out. I sat down with all of my professors, told them I wasn't coming back, that I really appreciated everything they did for me. And then I was home. And I just remember being like, now what do I do? You know? <laughs> and then that text came through. It was like perfect timing. Perfect timing. Wow. Isn't it amazing that John was there and thought to reach back to you and had uh, cared enough about you to to want to reach out to this person who had, who had quit the job and just yeah. to see how you're doing, right? Pretty cool. Really cool. And I remember he took me out to lunch. I remember the place, uh, Villa Barolo. And I remember sitting down and he didn't talk about work at all the whole time. He just... I just want to catch up, just see how you're doing. And we didn't talk. And it wasn't until I brought it up. And then obviously he got me as an assistant manager that summer. Yeah. Awesome. So cool. What were some of the things like you worked closely with John for a long time, right? I mean, you worked with him as an AM that summer. You, after going out as a DM, you came back, worked with him for a while. I'd love for you just to try to capture what it was you gained from working with John Wasserman. Mm. There's a couple things. I think one of the first ones was treat every single person like they're the most important person in the room. So he taught me the square up rule where like when you're talking with somebody, you, your legs and shoulders should be facing them. That was like one of the first things I remember learning from him. I wasn't a very good listener. <laughs> so I think maybe that's why he was teaching it to me. <laughs> mm. I have uh, ADHD, so I get distracted really easily. So he, he really taught me that first thing, like treat every single person. And that also kind of tied into the whole like remembering people's names. I'm like super good at remembering people's names now. He taught me how to like use them multiple times in a sentence. And you know, if you don't memorize somebody's name or you don't remember them, it's just because you didn't care about them enough. He's like, think about people that you've never met, but you know their name for sure. Uh, it's because you care about them, you know? And I was like, wow, that really hit me. And so that was one of the first ones. The second one that I learned uh, as I got better in the business and grew and, and stuff was the leave it better philosophy. And I know his podcast was, you know, he featured that, you know, and talked about it where it's like leaving every meeting, every conversation, every place I visit, people I spend time with, everything that I do, just like leaving it better because people won't like remember what you said to them, but they'll remember how you made them feel in those moments. And then the last thing, which is more recent, I, I had a son during the pandemic. And, uh, <laughs> and so he's really taught me over the years how to be a great you know, spouse, a great dad, a great business owner, and also enjoy my hobbies too. You know, have my own me time, uh, be great at uh, being a son and being a great friend and you know how to have that because one of his core values is balance. And so he, he's really taught me how to like have that type of balance in my life, which is really nice. So. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, you're, you're certainly very lucky to have had a chance to work so closely with someone like John. I think all of us in Vector are, are really lucky in that we've had some amazing mentors or role models to work with. And and for you, John was your, I mean, I know Dave Kirkner was the pilot manager, but John was like your immediate manager right away, right? Uh, as the DVM there. And I started in a branch office, but it was the end of the summer and the branch was about to go back to school. So I went into the DVM office. I was trained in the DVM office. And so the DVM was like my number one mentor right out of the gate. And I was lucky to have had him. His name is Filippo Mancini. And I was lucky to have had him as a key mentor early in my career. And uh, we're, all, we're all so lucky to have had somebody that was you know, the right person at the right time for us to give us the things we needed at that point in our life to be able to be successful and plant the seeds for even greater success down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So, so you were an assistant with John in 2013. And then you became a district manager in 2014, right? Right. He actually asked me at the end of that summer, 2013, to be the pilot for the spring and the fall. So that way I got some experience before going DM. Got it. Got it. So you were the pilot manager for fall of 2013 and spring of 2014. Then you became a DM. You were a DM for one year and you went back to work with John. Yeah. What, uh, how did that unfold? Yeah. You know... <laughs> I went out, I was young, 
you know, cause I dropped out of college. So I was probably like 20 and, uh, I didn't know anything. <laughs> so when I went out in DM, I did pretty well. I think I had 150 K summer, had some people in leadership Academy, made some mistakes that fall that then trickled into my winter, had a 30 K January. And then John pulled me back in that spring and, uh, to work in the pilot. And I, I told him, I said, I want to be here. Like, I want to be here. I just, I need to figure a couple things out. So I was, I, I did struggle in that first year, but I, I knew I wanted it really badly. And uh, so I remember getting that call in February and he was like, yeah, like, do you want to be here? Like, how can we help you type of thing? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I remember like crying because I'm like, I, I don't want to disappoint you or Earl. And he's like, well, how about we bring you back home? I was like, what? Really? He's like, yeah. I need somebody in my office for like two years as we rebuild. Cause at that time he had promoted David Kirkner, Greg Cothran and Elijah cheeks to be division managers. Yeah. And so he was in a rebuilding the division mode and mm-hmm. he had somebody that knew what they were doing, just needed some guidance that was going to be able to help for like two years. Right. So it was a perfect fit for you. To go back and work with him, another right place, right time situation. What kept you committed to a career with Vector after that? I would say first, uh, my wife, Megan. She's been with me since day one of Cutco. So we've been together longer than I've been with Cutco. And uh, we were only like six, seven months into our relationship. So she's seen me through the thick and the thin, the good and the bad. And not once has she ever stopped believing that I could be great here. You know, like she was always that, like I would come home upset or excited or whatever. And every single time she was always like, I knew you could do it, or I know you can figure it out, or I know, right? So she, she's really been the heart. That led me to believing in myself. Not that I didn't, but like having that person to say, you're going to do great really helped. And then I also had this belief in Wass's leadership, you know, just watching all of the success he has created over the years. I was like, he's got to know what he's doing. I was like, let me just put my full belief in him. Even if this isn't my forever thing, let me, let me choose to be here for many years until I feel like I've learned enough. And this year, if it's taught me anything, I'm, I'm still just a rookie. I'm still just figuring things out. I'm just getting started. But you know, I, I can tell John really cares about my future, really cares about my family. And I can see it through his actions, just, just that in general. So I still got so much more to learn. I have so much more to learn. It's great. There's a lot you've said so far, Ryan, about John and his leadership that I think we could all sort of turn around and think about how can we apply as leaders, right? How are you applying John's leadership principles as you build your team and your organization. I'm sure you are. I'm sure we'll talk about that today. But just for anybody who's listening to think about the leadership they provide, and is it that genuine, authentic, caring, servant leadership that you've described? Because that's what really builds strong relationships for the long term. And it certainly is one of the things it sounds like that has kept you a part of Vector, even through right those early years where you're trying to find your way. Pretty cool. Thanks. So you went back out as a district manager 2017, and you've had some really good success over the last few years. You have in particular shown a great strength in development. And so I just wanted to ask you to talk about that a little bit in terms of how you go about identifying and developing and retaining top talent on your team. Yeah, that's a great question. I love developing people. It's my thing. I've made it my thing. And I think it started with Al DiLeonardo and his talk. I remember my first summer in 2012, he was our keynote speaker and how he shares his story that anybody can be great here. And you can hear it through his story and his upbringing and where he came from. So I remember thinking, wow, you're right. Anybody can choose to be great here. And then Earl, he really echoes that when he shares stories from around the region of where somebody is from and the challenges they had to overcome. And I really love when he shares those. And then obviously Wash just embodies the anybody can be great mentality and pass that on to me. So I think that's first, you know, in terms of like identifying is just knowing anybody can be it. I think second, 
I look to John Maxwell's Five Levels Leadership a lot. Um, I absolutely love that book. It's like my my favorite book. When is it? You said it's the five levels of leadership? The five levels of leadership. Yeah. You can like people without leading them, but you cannot lead people well without liking them. So the second thing I do after just a mentality shift of anybody can be great, but I do want to like them too. I need to have that genuine interest in them, which actually opens up the gates a lot more when I'm more open-minded to, I can like anybody. So I try to find people that I like to talk to, like to spend time with, no matter how sharp or good at the job they are initially. Because again, I can get them to where they need to go, but I just need to identify if I like them and if I feel like I can get them where they need to go. When it comes to actually developing people, I try to teach my other managers in our division to focus on the ones that show up. People are going to be late. People are going to miss stuff. People are going to mess up. And I always try to say, reflect on to when you were a new candidate or you were a new... We all were just the worst at first. <laughs> We've all done rookie stuff, you know? But that didn't mean our manager gave up on us, right? So forgiving people's actions, love them for who they are and who they could be, not who they are right now. And I don't remember who said it, um, but I heard, you know, what you appreciate appreciates. So I don't reprimand people in public for being late or things like that. I just show up the right way for the people that want to be there. And I praise in public what I'd like to see continue happen and behaviors and results, et cetera. So And then I guess the path of my development starts with day one of training, the whole back on day one, where I plant the seed. I say it a couple of times throughout training, the relationships that I build on day two, even in the virtual world right now, that connection and community from John Berghoff, right? How am I showing up for them and then planting those seeds? And then boom, that first PDI call, that first PDI call, it's the homemaker hotline. It's Ryan speaking. What's up? And then they're like, Hey, you know, it's so-and-so I sold this, or I had my first no sale. And I'm like, great job having that first no sale. And, uh, I say, Hey, walk me through. What did they say? How can I help? Et cetera. Well, great job. You handled that like a champ. Hey, have you ever thought of management before? And I learned that I guess from Earl who learned it from others. And that's like the first question I ask. but I don't ask it to just anybody. Like, it's got to be that person that I could see really liking and spending time with. Because if I'm going to spend a lot of time with them, I, I want to like them. So I'm like, hey, have you ever thought of management? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, I think you should, right? And, and here's why. The way you handled that, that no sale, here's how most people handle it, but here's how you handled it. And then I give them other genuine reasons of things that I saw throughout training that I liked about them. And my wife laughs every time. Whenever I hang out that call, she's like, you really like that person, don't you? I'm like, yeah. So she knows it's a good training group when uh, when I'm doing that a lot my first the first weekend. <laughs> She's like, wow, there must have been a lot of really great kids in that training group, huh? So I guess that's the first part is just like setting it up well. The second part is a strong foundation to my key staff program. So I either promote people at advanced training or their first PC, regardless of results. Not everybody. It's got to be special. I can't promote everybody, but people that I see potential in. And then I have a consistent meeting throughout the whole year. Even my, I bet any of my past reps or any managers that have ever worked with me that are listening to this podcast right now could easily tell me when is our key staff meeting. It's the same time. It has been my whole career. Always Saturday, 9 to 10 a.m. Without fail, right? Now, the only ones that we miss are when we have a leadership academy that day or a region event or if we're traveling and things like that. But so having that consistent meeting where we always get together and share life skills, not just knife skills, you know? Yeah. And then here are my order of events with the meetings. So I'm very, I'm very intentional with my first four meetings. The first four meetings, every new campaign. So I just started the first one this past Saturday. And I always start the new campaign with John Maxwell's Five Levels Leadership. I always have that as the first discussion topic. Always blows their mind, right? Helps them understand why I do what I do. The second week, right, which is this coming Saturday, is going to be CVI test, right? 
They got to understand who they are to know where they want to go. And then the third week, I do core values exercise from the book, Bury My Heart at Conference Room B by Stan Slap. I stole this from John Loss, but I really love the core values exercise, kind of helps them discover more. And then the fourth week is typically a smart goals and time management skills. And those are always the first four. And then from there, we kind of adjust based off the group, what we think they need to learn or have to learn still from there. But setting it up that way is really great. I obviously have I stole from Ryan Trembler an assist manager application. So that way it's like, it feels like a process. I'm not just like sitting down like, Hey, you want to be an assistant manager? <laughs> so I have like a, a luncheon or a, a Zoom meeting where I talk to them about AM. And then I actually have them have follow-up applications if they're interested. And then the last part is just retention. I think retention is congruent with relationships. So spending time with them is the best thing I can be doing. Thoughtful gifts or surprises. I try to figure out their love language. So usually one of the key staff meetings is the love languages talk. And I try to figure out what gets them, you know, is it words of affirmation? Is it thoughtful gifts? Is it just spending time with me? And I try to help them hit their life goals. I try to see them at their sports or their events, their plays, things like that as best I can. But the struggle is you don't want to get stuck at that level two with just relationship. I got to make sure that they're making money and keep improving. So that level three productivity leadership, where you care so deeply about them, that you care about their goals and results and being tough on them when they need it, because that's what a good parent does, right? And so that's how I kind of retain effect. John actually bought me this bat. I keep it right near me. Uh, He bought me this bat that says tough love on it. And so he said, you need to carry this around because he didn't see I was tough enough on people as a young manager. And so he says, you just need to be tougher on people. So carry this bat when you're doing PDI. You know? <laughs> <laughs> nice. A good reminder. Yeah. So. Excellent. Ryan, so much great stuff right there and like a lot of stuff to, to unpack. You started out with talking about connecting with people so that you develop a genuine liking for the people who you work with. I can remember running training and we used to have this sort of welcome sheet people filled out that had some personal questions on it. And I would typically be running trainings in the summer when the classes were pretty large. So I read a few of those before training started, but for the most part, I was just greeting people and working one-on-one with them. But at the end of day one, I would read every single one of those sheets. And I can remember having had people in training that I like was having a hard time firing myself up about. And then I would read some personal experience they had or some achievement they had or just some words they wrote about themselves that were inspiring. And it, it changed my thinking. It changed my paradigm about those people that I had in front of me. And I think it's so important for us to be looking for the good in people, looking for the reasons why people can succeed, looking for what we can like and respect and appreciate about other people. And the more that we look for that, the more we'll see that. And it it gives us a whole new viewpoint on training people. And that was one of the things that helped me to develop that liking, that feeling of really, really like liking the people that I had in front of me. Because it's easy sometimes on the first day of training, if somebody's not participating or they're not dressed as sharp as the others or whatever it might be, right? It's it's easy to look at what they don't have, but it's so important to turn that around and focus on what they do bring that could be of value. That was a great insight right out of the gate, Ryan. Thank you. Yeah. And then you talked about praising in public, right? And if there's any reprimands, they almost always happen in private and that in public, we're always recognizing what we want because then not only does the person get praised, but everybody else sees what you praise for, right? And so it inspires other people to want to do the same things because they want to be praised. They want to hear you. One of the challenges with reprimanding publicly, by the way, is that there are literally people who crave attention and they'll do stupid stuff just because they know they're going to be called out and they don't feel bad about it. They just, they want attention. So it's always important to make sure we reprimand privately as much as possible 
and praise publicly. That was really great. You said a lot about a one-on-one connection with people after they're on your team and just how you strive to make people feel that first PDI call where you're leaving people feeling good, no matter what result they had. They could have sold 3,000 bucks or they could have had a no sale, right? But you're leaving them feeling good about calling you, feeling good about being on the team, feeling good about doing their next demo so that they can ideally get a good result the next time. That was all so great. And then Ryan, I love what you talked about the consistent key staff program, because to me, that was like the hallmark of how we built a championship team with lots of FSMs and lots of assistant managers and people that stuck around for many years was that every two weeks, in my case, I did it every two weeks, every two weeks, they were in front of me for 90 minutes where we were talking about life, life skills, not knife skills, as you said. We were talking about life and we were working on ourselves. And of course, there was some business mixed in in the middle, but we were working on ourselves as humans and they wanted to be around that. They wanted to be a part of that. And it was such a valuable part of what helped me build a great team. And, and, you know, you mentioned you had go-to topics that you'll share at the beginning of every campaign. And then you sort of weave in other stuff as you're going along, but there's some go-to's that you always would use. And I certainly had some of those as well. So I loved that stuff. That was really, really, really good on identifying, developing, retaining top people. How do you balance it with uh, Megan and now having a new baby boy? (laughs) So something, uh, you know, I just, it's actually, we spent an hour this morning with our division talking about this. So I think when when Rome was first born, you just got to suck it up. Like, I don't know how to, I remember calling John. I'm like, how do you do this? He's like, you know what my wife said, Jatana said to me once, sorry, John, you just got to suck it up sometimes. You know, (laughs) I was like, words of the wise from Jatana. I was so, but yeah, I mean, there are times where that's just how it is. But in reality, I, I start with the, I guess if I'm starting with the philosophy before the strategy, I figure out my priorities. My priorities are Megan, Rowan, my family and friends. What's next? My business and my business relationships because they kind of go hand in hand. And then last, my last priority is my hobbies. So I'm currently training for an Ironman right now. That's in September. I collect cards and I play a lot of video games. I'm a big nerd. And so that's like last, but I still like to do those things because they recharge me. So then if it doesn't apply to one of those three things, it doesn't often make it in my schedule. Only if I have the extra time, I'm not perfect. You know, we all have those things that find their way into our schedule sometimes. But my second philosophy is really just knowing when I need to sacrifice for the long term. So as an example, my wife knows very well since she's been with me since day one, my summers and winters make up a large portion of my income. Because of this, my schedule reflects that. And it doesn't mean I neglect those other things. So it's, again, the thing that John taught me about how do you become a good spouse and a good dad and a good brother, a good you know, business owner. So it's not like I neglect those things. It's just my, my time dedicated to those things is just looks a little different during different times of the years. And Earl's even taught me this too. There's some... You're balanced and unbalanced in certain months. And so just kind of like coming to terms with that, that it's okay. And my family's okay with it too, because it allows me to have that freedom when I need that during different times of the year. So I'm doing it for our long-term family, like knowing to work hard in SE1 and SE2, because it's going to help me have an awesome fall. And so those types of things. It also it forces me to be on top of things throughout the day. When I was a younger manager, I wasted so much time just doing nothing around the office. Now having all of these extra things that I've added to my schedule, it actually helps me stay focused and get things done when I need to get them finished. So like when I tell my wife I'm going to be home at a certain time, I better be home at that right time, you know, like cuz she's counting on me. Whereas if you give yourself all day to do something, you take all day to do it. But if I give myself this finite amount of time, 
So it's kind of like a time crunch, but I work well under time crunches. But quick tip, I, I just needed to plug this in there. I was notoriously late for like 30 minutes all the time for like a year or two. And John was like, then just tell her you'll be home. Like just start saying 30 minutes later than you actually finish something. And then you're always early. And I was like, why? I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's so simple. And he's like, I know. So if you keep telling her on Tuesdays at seven, just tell her Tuesdays at seven 30 now or something like that. And then I was always early and she was like, wow, you're home early. And I liked hearing that. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I guess, uh, when it comes to strategies, here's what works for me when balancing. So this coming Sunday, actually, I'm, I'm glad you asked this question. This Sunday, my wife and I are going to take our big calendar, right? So it was great having uh, Jesse Itzler uh, talk about his big-ass calendar, right? Yeah. Because it's something I've, I've actually done for many years, You know, where we sit down and we plan out the entire year. When are date nights? When are weekends with friends? When are we seeing family? When are we doing this? Who haven't we seen yet? Who, who's it been a while? Renovations on the home. And then I just kind of tell her, I'm like, well, right around here is typically when we have SC2. Right around here is when we typically have Olean. And, and so we kind of like spread it all out. So we, we know we have all of these things in our schedule. And then for those weekends that I, I got to get somebody to cover for me, I have a meeting about it, an assistant manager meeting. And then one-on-one, I sit down with assistant managers and key staff and figure out who can do it weeks, months in advance sometimes. And now I'm retaining them because they know I'm counting on them too. Hmm. So if they know, hey, Ryan's got this big event coming up, they know they can't just like dip on me. So that's pretty much it. Yeah. Nice. That was good. Yeah. I think that the whole idea of starting with priorities and making sure your schedule reflects your priorities is key. Being able to shut it down at certain times, I think, is also a key thing that I've found is important, whether it's a certain time every day or certain days each week. But then the flip side of that is sacrificing for the long term, as you said. There are times where we're going to bust our butts for a little while, right? May and June, December and January, right? For you guys would probably be those times. Uh, Might be a little bit different months out here in the Western region, but similar concept that uh, there are times where we're sacrificing for the long term. And it's all part of the strategy to be able to build the kind of business we want with the kind of lifestyle that we want, which is excellent. And I'm sure that delegating to your staff is a big part of your success. It might be different during those months where you're really fully engaged and you know even more, more delegation might happen during some of the what we'd call off months. Tell us a little bit about what delegation looks like in your organization. Yeah. So when I was younger, uh, John Fiacco came down from New York down to be a district manager, actually, in our division. And when he first moved here, I was so excited. He's just a bigger version of me. <laughs> so, And we got along really well, both jokesters. And, uh, and he was the one who, who really helped me start mastering this whole development thing. So simply put, he put it, I do. We do, you do. And there's a more drawn out explanation. I actually have my Jim Rohn journal where I remember... I still have the journal where I actually have all the notes and have it all written down exactly. But as my responsibilities grow, my time decreases. So as I got older in the business, you know, I couldn't sit down with every single person and like do every little thing with them. But when I was a younger manager and I didn't have a lot going on just yet, I would do everything with somebody. Like I never did anything alone. I always had somebody watching me. We were doing it together. I would tag them in like a wrestling partner type thing, WWE style, like our tag in your right. Like, and we would do it together. And that helped with the relationship. It helped with the retention. And and then I started to master things and my responsibility started to increase. So then Trent taught me, Trent Booth taught me when I was coaching with him having people record things that they want to do in your business. So you can then watch... Because I, you know, if there was a certain day where I couldn't do something or whatever, I had somebody record a, them do a specific talk for training or record parts of their interview or record them giving a talk at a team meeting before they ever give it. And then they watch it themselves. 
and they give themselves feedback before I ever give them feedback because I'm not going to be able to readily drop everything and just... So if they want to get better, they got to want it, right? Type of thing. And so explaining to that, that to them and then watching it together. So now that's what I do now uh, is I have them record stuff and I just have them send it to me and then we'll watch it together and break down certain parts if I can't be there for everything. And so that's as my responsibilities grew type of thing. So hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, that was good. I also liked earlier where you talked about delegating really early, right? Like people know well in advance what they're doing in your Mm -hmm. organization, right? I used to always spend time on a week. Usually it was like a Sunday afternoon. I would take the time to make the schedule, not for this coming week, but for next week. So the week starting seven or eight days from now, I would make that schedule right a full week in advance so that every assistant manager knew basically minute by minute what days they were working and what they were supposed to be doing on those days. And just that level of having people be delegated to well in advance, I think that makes a big difference versus the way I think most managers operate, which is sort of like, oh, what are we doing today? Oh, hey, help me with this, right? You have a demo? Oh, can you cancel it? Because I need you to do this, right? Like that's uh, all the stuff to not do, right? Yeah. Um, Have you always feel like you've had a handle on this kind of stuff or were there there some growing pains as you developed it? No. (laughs) Anybody that knows young Supply in the business, I was a mess when I started. I was pretty much terrible at everything. And uh, I basically had a smile and hard work going for me. So like mistakes I made, like all of them. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't really know how to narrow it down to uh, specific mistakes, but I have some things that I learned uh, from my mistakes, if you'd like me to share. Yeah. So I guess first is I tried doing everything on my own when I was a new... So that's where I, I wanted to get good at development. Because I noticed when I did everything by myself, I wasn't as motivated and nobody was counting on me. So I could get, a, I knew myself really well. I could get away with not doing something because nobody was there to see it. But when I surrounded myself with a lot of people and not tried doing thing, everything on my own, it forced me to level up. You know, so I look back to when I was a swimmer or a wrestler or running track and they were putting me in these leadership positions. It forced me to swim harder, run faster, lift harder, right? And I just started treating the job like a sport. So that was one is like I tried doing everything on my own because I didn't want people to have to like rely on me or whatever. And we're all on this planet together. So we might as well like get along and help each other. And then the second thing was I prejudged people really, really quickly when I was a young manager. And I think that that probably hurt some relationships and probably pushed people away or I didn't retain people because of this. So years ago, a man named George Furco, I don't know if you remember that name, he used to be a district manager. and fourth, um, right? The fourth, the fifth? Was the he the fifth, fourth? Fifth. The fifth. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah, had to be. And I love George, but I remember, I remember going to John <laughs> and I was like, I don't like him. He shouldn't be in our division. He doesn't have the vector spirit. And John looks at me and he's like, that's just because you don't know George. Spend more time with George and then tell me. The more time I spent with George, the more I fell in love with him. Right. And he was one of the few people that actually got invited to my wedding. This was also true with Owen Trapp. You know, like at first, (laughs) when we first opened together in 2014, I thought he was a punk. I was like, who is this guy? It's like, who's this guy showing up in a, in a hat and, a, in, in boots and boots? But man, he is easily one of my favorite people and somebody I find really dear. And we talk a lot. And uh, so, but yeah, just trying not to do everything on my own and just not prejudging people. So I think those are mistakes I made early on. Yeah, good stuff for sure that you shared right there. I like it. I, I know a high degree of accountability comes from having teammates. And when you have people on your team that are counting on you, it certainly levels you up. It's so easy to let down when the only person that knows is you, but it's way harder when there's other people around you that are counting on you. This is why you know I would always have shared goals that are shared 
with the team that we come up with together every campaign. We would put our forecasts on paper at every key staff meeting. We would fill in the actual column next to the the goal and the projection column. The projection column was the low number and the goal column was the high number. And I'd have one right down the middle that said actual. And we'd fill it in every campaign. And it was painful to fill it in when it was really far off the goal. It, It wasn't usually very far off, but when it was, it was hard. But we would talk about it and that would create more accountability and more drive to like, hey, let's help each other get this on track. Let's do what it takes. And so just having those teammates is key. You did a good job of explaining that. That was really cool. Hey, what was it like, Ryan, managing the region manager's daughter? (laughs) (laughs) I know you had Kennedy on your team, right? Yes. (laughs) Were you nervous? Incredibly. I remember Earl calling me and he's like, "Uh, so my daughter's going to start working for you this summer. (laughs) She's not going to go through your typical interview but I want you to talk to her before she shows up to training. I already put her in your training. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it was honestly, Kennedy is one of my best friends. Actually her, uh, she came over this past weekend, actually her and Kaylee, one of my past assistants, they're like BFFs. And uh, they both came over with, uh, you know, Eric and Connor. And uh, we had a great time. So it was, it was nerve-wracking at first, but we're like the bestest of friends now. So that's cool. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, hey, Ryan, this has been great. As you look uh, into the future, what are you most excited about? What am I most excited about? I think what I'm excited about is the potential of our business, of what Cutco and Vector is about. You know, I've got to believe if there are people like you and Was and myself and all the other people that I've I, I've really loved a lot of the interviews you've had. I've got to believe that there's people like us. You know, sometimes the the world can seem scary because of news and this and that. And and I got to believe that there's people like us. You know, that the future and potential of the world and our business. That's what excites me. You know, is like what could things be like in the future if. We all learn from each other. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm just excited to see what it would be like when our company doubles in size or triples or even gets to different parts of the world and what that's going to look like. And I don't know. I, it's hard to like narrow down what excites me most with the future. But I'm excited for my future and my family. And just you know, I'm just getting started here. I'm just getting started. And so I've already seen what's happened over the past decade working here. I just can't wait to see what the next decade holds. So, yep. Here's to that. It's going to be great with people like you, people like John Wasserman, and all the other great leaders that we have, Earl Kelly, and so many others. It's going to be a real positive thing, and we are having a an incredibly powerful impact on the world through the you know the multiplier effect. Uh, you know, of all the people that we influence, whether it's a rep that comes to training and quits right away, but they get a little bit of a piece of what it looks like to be a dynamic leader, what it looks like, right, to be somebody who is a powerful influencer, or that person that stays with us for a summer, or that person that stays with us for a lot longer or a career. Everybody that we impact is having their life changed in some small way or some big way. And ideally, a lot of them are carrying that on to impact other people. And so what we do is really, really great. And I'm proud to have you on the team uh, as a colleague here and uh, grateful that we could share a little bit about your story here today, Ryan. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. All right. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Ryan Suplee. I always love to hear people's origin stories in Cutco and some of the other legendary greats that they worked with in those early days. Of course, Ryan, starting with John Wasserman, but with David Kirkner as his pilot manager, with Shelby Wildgust as the assistant manager in the office that summer, and Stacy Barton working there as well at that time. Just that it's cool to hear that. The leadership of John Wasserman, so instrumental in the life of Ryan Suplee, as well as the life of so many other people, The concept that who is in front of you is the most important person is a great insight to take with you in whatever you're doing today. The idea of leaving it better 
wherever you go. Listen to John Wasserman's original podcast episode with me if you'd love to hear more about John. I really want to encourage you to check that one out because he's definitely one of the greats in the company. His original episode is episode number 23. And there's also a flashback Friday with little pieces of his episode. Ryan had some great ideas on identifying, developing, and retaining top talent. I know that we walked through those in detail and sort of reviewed them as we went along. So I encourage you to to uh, check that out again if you'd like to make sure that it's re- the concepts are reinforced in your mind. One of the things he talked about was a key staff program and having some go-to topics that were great for running a key staff program. I want to offer an invitation to anybody here who would like if you go to changinglivespodcast.com, find Ryan Suplee's episode, which you can, if you're on your desktop, you can just type Ryan S into the search bar and it will pop right up. You can also just scroll down until you see it. Ryan Suplee, episode number 306. And there is a link for comments at the bottom of the page. And you can comment in there, Dan, please send me key staff topics and include your email address and so that I can send you attachments. And I will send you stuff that I have sent to others that can help you with some go-to topics for running your key staff meetings. Ryan also recommended John Maxwell's five levels of leadership. I'll recommend that to you right now also. Level one is position, which is where you simply you know, receive a title, but a title is not being a leader. Level two is permission, which is where you build enough of a relationship that people want your leadership. Level three is production, where you're helping people to actually succeed. You're investing in their goals and you're holding them accountable. Level four is people development, right? And this is where you're helping them to build and become leaders. And then level five is pinnacle where you're leaving a legacy over the long term. And level five leaders develop level five organizations that have a powerful impact all throughout their communities and throughout the company and wherever they are engaged. And that's something that we all want to create with our vector businesses or our businesses outside of vector. So check out that book from John Maxwell also. Hope you enjoyed this. Thanks, Ryan Supley, for a great conversation. And thank you for supporting the podcast. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 